apparently not a person who opened the web. But he wrote an entire work defending the the discipline of Halakha number one. He wrote a work to, that, that addressed the issue of Zionism. Non-Zionism was the critical issue in the 1950s, 1960s. What's our approach? Orthodox Jews to Zionism. That was a major issue that had to be addressed. He addressed that issue. That was the Rav Speaks, I think. Yes, the Rav Speaks, addressed that issue, as well as called the Lido Fek, which is a... Uh, that one um, just translated. Yeah. Just translated about a couple of months ago, maybe maybe six months ago. And that also just the issue of the Holocaust. What's the meaning of the Holocaust? How do we deal with the issue of the Holocaust? Modern children to children have all been addressed by him. Which again, not every great gadol addressed these issues. The Rahabad, for example, never addressed the issues that the Rambam addressed. And it's a personality, it's an ability to see beyond the immediate constrictions of that newness. Sometimes we're afraid of that which is new, and we're not able to really go beyond it. The issue of interfaith discussion. Most people would prefer to simply close your eyes and pretend <clears throat> that it's not a problem, not an issue. I mean that in two senses. I mean, number one, in terms of the Christian world who initiated dialogue with us, we're not really interested, but should we initiate it? Is it important? Not important? What should we do? And he, in a very characteristically analytical fashion, was able to set out a policy as to what's right, what's wrong with God, that issue, as well as the issue of dialogue with the former conservative Jews. Most of us, I'm saying, I'm not getting involved, I'm just going to close my eyes to it. He said no to that. That would be self-defeating, would be inappropriate, would be wrong. Rather, he set out very clear guidelines as to how to make that work for the general cloud Israel. He saw the broader picture. He has that perspective of being able to not to be reacting to the moment, but rather as to what we are as Jews, who we are as Jews, and what's right for us as Jews, as a people, as an olam, an eternal people. You can't address an issue only from the perspective of the immediate present, but you must see it as well from the long-range perspective of the Takem Olam Buchadai. All of that is part and parcel of Rabbi Soloveitchik, a very unique personality. <clears throat> we began reading about his and you'll see as this work, as all of his works, there are unique ideas, uh, original ideas, ideas that would not, you would not find any other context. If you were to compare his ideas, please share, you to compare his ideas with any other modern thinker, from the traditional world to see how strikingly original his ideas actually are. He begins this essay on ideas about Tefillah, and I took this idea, this, this particular topic because we all know about Tefillah, we all know what Tefillah is all about, and it's unusual to say, I'm going to something new about Tefillah. No, Rabbi in fact, will give us a completely different perspective as to what Tefillah is all about. He began his thinking on this issue of Tefillah, and he's addressed this concept in different works in different words because it's very important. Tefillah is something which is an internal and external mitzvah. And those are the ones which he's most concerned about. Avelut, Tefillah, things like that, wherein you have an internal reverberation from the external deed. Tefillah could only be external. He rejects that. It could be internal. He rejects that. Halakha's uniqueness and brilliance is that it binds together an external behavioral mode doing something with an internal sense of effect, emotion. The dialectical tension between external and internal is the precise point on which halakha turns. One has to appreciate that fully. One cannot just do a mitzvah, just do it externally, nor can one allow a mitzvah to dissolve into an internal feeling. He makes this point in Isha Halakha, who talks about Ish Haddad and Ish Haddad. Ish Haddad is a romantic religionist. 
famous in the end of the 19th century for the religious romantics, meaning that religion becomes this kind of hazy, blurred, kind of emotional feeling that you have when you pray and everything else like that. No, it's not. You need a discipline. You need a structure, on the one hand. On the other hand, to only have a, a structure, to only have a discipline is not enough, and he wants to precisely hone in on that nexus point between external and internal. So if you realize one such, one such concept in the whole constellation of Jewish values. So again, he's written about this in other places, but each place is unique, each place is different, each place you see different ideas come to the fore. He began in the first paragraph of here, I'll briefly summarize it, saying that redemption is, is a basic bottom line foundation principle of Judaism. Good. But, uniquely, it's not only in the area which you always often think about it as the unique story, as a national historical movement to which we are all committed. It's not only that. Rather, redemption is something, it's an idea which percolates in almost every area of Jewish thinking and Jewish living. Tell us how quasical Caleb you allow to join. Everybody, everything is in need of redemption. Hatsibu and Hatsibu, yes, the national historical community is in, is in need of redemption. That we all know. The individual, Gamayahid, Gamatera, even the natural world. It's an interesting idea because upon what premise is the very small statement that nature is in need of redemption. What is in need of redemption? That which is not perfect. Good. That which is not perfect. There are many ills of the natural world that afflict us and have hurt us and harm us. And what he's saying over here is that the natural order was not made perfectly so. We don't perhaps know exactly how, but we think of natural evils, earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, we're in some kind of evil results from this natural evil, this natural phenomenon, call it. He said to us that Teva, nature also is in need of perfection. Sure, absolutely. That's a major, major question that one has to raise. But the question on one hand is going to the very Maaseha um, Boreh. And it's trying to understand why does one create an imperfect world we have to begin by hesitating and speculating and thinking that this can we ultimately know what Hashem really wants from creation. With that warning, certainly there are those who will say that God created the world in need of perfection for us to serve that world of perfection. Notwithstanding the fact that he was placed in heaven, right? He was viewed as a heretical in his time, 16th century, 17th century, I think. But uh, he was 18. Early 18. Yeah, 1700s. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I want to check on that. Shadal was a little bit later. Shadal was later. Shadal and But he was put in Hiram, and of course his works are widely read today and, and very much respected. So one has to always be careful from that point of view of one age's heresies and other age's orthodoxy. Keep that point in mind because it often comes up in life. And he said also that a Kadosh Baruch created world in order to help us perfect it because we, we, his point is we are able to get a sakhar, a reward by virtue of perfecting it. Just able to be born into a perfect world and nothing for us to do would be irrelevant to us. Rather, he wants to grant us reward and he grants us the reward by virtue of our intended act of perfection. We intend to perfect the world. <coughs> But the issue over here is not simply the moral evil that people are guilty of, 
but rather even Teva, even the natural order. <coughs> Science plays a role in this. There are going to be natural ills, sicknesses. What's our role? Our role is to see the sickness in its broadest perspective, which is we should be able to perfect this world by virtue of curing that illness. If cancer is not an illness of the natural world, where, where a cancer cell goes crazy and multiplies at an absurd rate, then our obligation as a mitzvah is with our kin, olam, olam in the natural sense. We should intend to cure that illness. That's part of what Hashem wants of us. So the world is natural. Part of the natural order, you will have all kinds of natural disasters, whether they're floods, whether they are uh, <clears throat> earthquakes, whether they're hurricanes, and we have to do that which maximizes the most important teaching of Judaism, which is, sorry, yes, but that's based on this this teaching. Seven Elohim, that every human being is of infinite value, infinite worth. Now, once I appreciate the fact that every human being is of an infinite value, worth. When I build a building, how should I build it so it doesn't crash? If I build a building as they do in, where they do it last month? Not Mexico. In South Wales, fell down. North Korea. It fell down, right? Don't you go to Korea? No. It wasn't a problem. The department store fell down and killed a couple hundred people. And they were building, building violations. Right, right, right. Okay, so the question is, are we concerned about the Tzedem Elohim that's involved in that situation, if we don't do it properly? Israel now is notorious. Israel right now, they're expecting in the next 20 years a major earthquake. Israel is on the foot. The Jordan is on one of the major faults of the world, of the earthquake uh, story. And yeah, I'm most spoke about it. Start with me out of Ash. I'm most spoke about that earthquake, Ash's earthquake. And it being so, well, there's a major earthquake in Israel. <clears throat> and they expect a major earthquake in the next 20 years and it's going to be massively destructive why? because they didn't build with earthquake provisions as they are in some buildings in California there's codes so now when we say that what are we disregarding? we're disregarding human life we have a right to describe human life so that comes to human life is a reflection of divinity of the infinite spirit of God that's what we are we are that important we are the crown of creation and we are limitless and divine so our values to reflect that key value now, if I don't do that, if I don't use my technology, my understanding to save people's lives, to improve the quality of lives, then I'm violating that mitzvah. So the natural is natural. The world is going to be a natural thing. There's going to be all kinds of disasters in the world. But we are obligated to have the wherewithal to cure, as we've cured polio, we've cured other, um, other illnesses, smallpox, so too over here. So I'm reading all of this into his one statement. The natural world is in need of perfection. That's our job in this world. All of the world means even new idea. Even man's thought, his ideas, his emotions and feelings also are in need of redemption. That's a strikingly original thought. You would not have read any place else in classical literature the notion that his ideas and his feelings also need redemption. So what does that mean? It's an interesting idea. What does that mean? Because there are times when a person's thoughts may be in crisis, his feelings may be in crisis, and it calls out from this point of crisis that he should be taken out of this crisis limit half to enjoy some kind of breath. Even... This is, this is not a, a new idea. We all know this already, but takes it seriously. Even the divine presence itself, so to speak, Kiryakor, Nishbek was taken in captivity by Galut, his story, 
הוא מת פיזית, הוא מצפה לגאולה. אבל השכינה נית גאולה. very, very unusual. He tells us, sometimes there's an idea that is alone, that is widowed in the, in the realm of thought, until comes a goel, a redeemer of that thought, and he's able to take it from its loneliness, from its loneliness, and from its forsakenness, from its aloneness, into redemption, to freedom, and to centrality. Many ideas, this is so clearly true, many ideas that Chazan had said were on the periphery of Jewish thinking, and all of a sudden an idea is from the periphery and becomes a focal point, a center of all new Jewish thought. So too, as the Redeemer, which, for whom we are waiting, He will raise us, raise us up from the Ashpur, from the depths, the, the nation, this poor nation called Israel, New idea, you never read this notion of a Goel Ruhani, who is somebody who's going to redeem a thought, an emotion, from a moment into, into, make an idea to prominence. The Takin Rayon, to establish a new idea, to make that into the idea. The history of human thought, are full of these kinds of ideas. There are many ideas that were peripheral but are now central. And he tells us that we have a statement in Kemara as well. Man Khulin, Zayn, Dabhet, Amur Arat, Avav, tells all the time, Makom Hinecho Avotai Likadir, O Makom Hinecho Mimina Shamayim. He tells over here there, there are various points, various times when the Tamech himself will say, the early rabbis, he left me a place to shine, Likadir to shine. This idea was here, the, the Chachamim gave me the right to make it here. It becomes my idea. And it's me, it's up to me to push that idea forward. What does that concept mean? There's also redemption in the realm of halachic thinking. There are logical explanations. That were left alone for much, much time. To become redeemed for every generation until came a Goel Galam. For example, Rav Chaim Salavich, his grandfather, was a radical reformer in the realm of halakhic thinking. Nobody thought his thoughts for a thousand, for two thousand years, Rav Chaim Salavich, how he formulated new ideas in halakha. And Rav Salavich's terms, I mentioned this, I think it was two years ago, he said that before Rav Chaim Salavich, all of the are was pots and pans. Kosher, not kosher, mixed milk, it was a thousand little details. Welcome to Rav Salavich, and he is able to find the common thread in all of them and reduce Vireda to a couple of principles. Simply to conceptualize it. Such a thousand little points, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Rather, he was able to take all those yes and yeses and yeses and able to find the reason why they were yes, they were able to to one common concept. And once they're all in one common concept, you, you see the harmony of all of, of all fits together as a beautiful painting, as a beautiful mosaic. That is 
collecting at its best. You ask the question in Halakha, it's not only a detailed issue, it's to which broader concept does that detail belong? And the Gemara does not operate with conceptual analyses. It's mainly detailed. You need the rabbi to come along, a great brilliant mind is able to conceptualize. It's, for example, analogously, the Rabbi Sadegic often likes to use science as analogies. You could observe a thousand physical phenomena in the course of daily life, right? Everything that you do, you lift your hand as a physical phenomenon, you study physics, you throw a ball, you shoot a basket, you drive your car, all these are laws of physics. You all know that. What did a number of the great physicists in the last century come along and do? And Einstein was certainly one of the last of, of, of the great minds trying to come to this, reducing all of those physical phenomenons to four basic laws of physics. There are only four basic laws of physics, and they're trying to come to that one unified concept, one law that will explain all physical phenomena. One law. So it's, it's, a, it's an act of seeing what's common, that me lifting my arm and me throwing the ball, but it's the same law of physics. And understanding what is that law of physics that binds together all these issues. For this question of, for example, in, in the realm of energy, light and heat are two physical phenomena. Are they different the same? Where are they the same? Whether I explode an atom bomb or I open a light, I'm doing the same physical act. It belongs to one law of physics. Right? We all know that. So to in halakha. There are many details in halakha. But you, well, I'm so rich, able to take all these details and conceptualize them into one whole. That's what he means by a go'el, by a go'el. Somebody came along and able to see the, all those little details and say they're all interrelated into one harmonious, tranquil picture. Truth has to be total and has to include all of those concepts. And all of these into one concept. If, for example, what happens if I able to explain ten different acts of damages by virtue of one principle, right? Whatever it may be. And there's one Gemara someplace where that Gemara does not fit into my conception. Let's say it's Adamu Adla Olam. One easy example, right? It means a man is always responsible for whatever damage he does. Okay, but I find one example he's not responsible. So my concept is wrong. The concept has to explain all the details, right? So the concept may be wrong. It's painted a picture with all that's in place. It's a puzzle, but there's one thing that's out of it because that one halakha is not, is not explained by that broad concept throughout the picture. Do you, you see why? Is it obvious? Am I clear? Good thing you look clear. No, it's clear. It can be included in that concept. It's not the concept. So what Chaim Salvation was able to find the concept and define that concept perfectly enough to explain all of the Ah, and in other areas as well. Take out all of the details and unify them into one concept. Therefore, if you know all halakha, it's all true. That is exactly what the Rambam did. The Rambam wrote Mishnah Torah comprehensively because truth is comprehensive. You have to know everything, especially this one picture called truth. If you want to get to Buddha Olam, you have to know the whole picture. If you only have one part of a picture, you're not getting truth. And if you don't have truth, you don't have Buddha Olam. You need to, to know truth or to know God. All of that. So, therefore, the Rambam and the Sarevichik again are the same. The Sarevichik believed in comprehensive knowledge, but not only knowledge of Halakha and Hashkafa and the and all that, but even scientific knowledge fits into this total worldview. All knowledge has to fit into the total worldview. So now, here we are, this, this last kind of bit over here. Right? The Redeemer could be one of Hachmei Israel that the Hashgachah has chosen in order to take out that logical explanation 
from its aloneness, from its periphery, and bring it to the center of halakha. What's one example? Idea, idea, an idea, halchatit ahat. There's one halakha idea that was alone for a period of time, Zimani. And it was redeemed. It was redeemed ultimately by was redeemed ultimately by the Rambam. What idea is this? It's called Avodah Now what does that mean? The concept Avodah was established Many times the Talmud will talk about Avodah internal worship. Despite the Rashad that the Talmud spoke about it prayer always remained mitzvah medivrahim always remained as a rabbinic commandment and was never established in the center of Jewish thinking. Now, anybody that studied this always wondered, how could it be that prayer, which is such a basic category of Jewish thinking and Jewish living, is only the other man? You have entire Talmudic pages and chapters and Masechot to that prayer. And yet it always remained peripheral. Harbash group of Tfilah. Many spoke about Tfilah. The Kavakana for this school, I will go to Tfilah. I mean, they said that Abraham Avinu brought Shafi. Let's go through it. One second. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go through it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If it's if it's all sanctioned, it's not. But it's not. What did I find? It's not. It's not. And so the Rambam, I suppose the Rambam came along and said, is the right for that reason. In other words, what you're thinking about is that now the 20th century, we see the centrality of prayer. Right? Hold on. When was the Avodah established? A thousand years after Jewish history. A thousand years. No, that's 300 before the common era. And even then. You're thinking of the, as we have it today, or in a general sense? Well, we're going to see how we analyze this concept. Because we'll go in Beit Sarah, the, uh, the Yehudim would gather and pray. Right, but why wait for Beit Sarah to pray? Well, even that I'm done with Sarah, so Beit Sarah is the writer. Everyone said it's the writer. Fine. But normally, I have Beit Sarah today. I have Beit Sarah, so I'm happy to write. Don't pray. Oh, we'll send the class to that. I'm going to pray. Well, that's strange, because it's not enough food would be standing conscious to that concept that the soul's always praying. We should be in the conscious. Conference over Tefillah. Of course, looks about that as well as the man Bakot, similar to that also. But the point over here is that prior, look at the Sidur. When was Sidur first written? The first organized Sidur. Which is the 9th century after the common era. What were all those days before? What was central in the times of the Talmud? Was it prayer or was it Korbanot? It was Korbanot. All Korbanot. Maybe he said Kiryachana. Maybe he said Kiryachana. Maybe he said Kiryachana. It's going to be my black word. But it wasn't the, the, the prayer as a disciplined action. Now, don't look at this whole issue from the point of view of now, 20th century. We do see prayer as central. But the only one that central with the Avab. There was a Galut. The Jews went to Babylonia. And now to the dead, Kinesa became a place to pray and to study. Kinesa, of course, means to well, gathering uh, I mean, that's a fear. Now, now you're posing another question. If we were able to make Corbano pray, would we have to pray? That's another question. I'm, I'm not interested in the issue. I'm that's saying a that... a different question. Yeah, it's a different question. I'm saying of you, but in the time of the Dash, you know, what was focal? Corbanot. Mm-hmm. When the Jews were exiled, there's no more Corbanot. So what do we do? Right. Then we had to start using 
sekira Esther ada korban apa? Ayat Babylon, ayat Babylon ada istilah. Bashmat, correct. Also as well. Or postpart, or maybe abad. Allah katihila. Shouldn't I pray to Abu Bashir by love like do the katihila? Let's see how we develop this concept. So it's not tibura was not the tibura in the center of Jewish halakhic thinking. Many have thought about tibura. Many many halakhot were established about tibura. However, hanikudah merkazi. What is prayer really all about? Abu Bashir by love, which is the worship of the heart Hiketa waited to be redeemed was in wait, was waiting was waiting for the redeemer to have a good day to emphasize it and give it its definition the divine providence decreed to go so and so as a redeemer will come and redeem it in other words, you look at all the halakhic compilations prior to the Rambam, Tefillah will be spoken about as a formal exercise that we have to do. We're going to see Dura, Rav, Amram, we're going to look at all these other things. Tefillah is a formal, disciplined act that we do, pray morning, noon, and night. Halakhot. But his point over here is that it was the Rambam who decided that Tefillah is essence, essentially defined. Its essence is defined as what? Not as formal discipline, pray morning and night, but rather as Abadashi Balor. Completely different story. Let's see. He tells us, quote, I've called, I've lived, everything is going to do with, with Mazar, with luck. I'm feeling so to Rashi Balor. Claim this Gemara. Right? But let us report the Mashal, maybe in Makor Hazar, Adavar, 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 Adavar. Think about it as a report. For example, they bring original sources of the rabbis and the Pasuk of the Adavar. They bring the sources. Sorry, we're going to source of Chazal on the Pasuk of the Chalidakim. Right? They asked the question. Is he Avodashi by Lord? Who are the Zetifilah? They said, this is the club. Good. After Pifin, the Rashad and Moshim Tat and the Tatra, the Chalidakim. Despite the Rashad, they didn't change their perspective, their stand vis a vis Tifilah. Kulam, the Ketur Tifilah, Kehovah, Midibrahim. For them, prayer, direct support, always remain Midibrahim. In other words, again, you see the... the even though we have a Pasuk in the Torah, even though we have the Pasuk in the Torah... It's not you as the Oraita. And it's Tefillah, but it's the Rabbanan. Prayer is the Rabbanan. That's again, it's how could prayer be the Rabbanan? That's the same question. Abiracha. Whatever it is, is the Oraita the Rabbanan. The Rabbanan. But how could Rachamim... I always have this question. How could... We have waited to Rachamim to establish that I should say Tiracha on an apple. To me, it's so obvious. Their whole reasoning. You look at Hashem's. We're going to take it. You, you want to acquire it? What do you have to do? What do you have to pay for it? Say Baracha. That's the payments for the apple that I'm going to eat. Which means you're right. It's such a... But we don't have a source. Why not? That's my problem. Why not? Yeah, Hashem. Sure. Because it's not the right. Why not? Because Hashem did not require at Har Sinai that... That's what right. they said. Or that and I can't accept that. I can't accept that. Well, then you have, you have the burden of proof. You have the burden of proof of being a source that indicates that that, that is a social idea. Logic would say, would deal to me. I was. Agreed. That is about the same. Analogously, that's exactly the same problem. But Berachot as well. Think about how many times you say Berachot a day. You should be able to answer by saying it could be that whatever a man said, you know, I'm going to have Shemitah, Rover, and I'm going to have Kiruma and Maaser, all of that. 
which is done on an annual basis, that is that is the benefit. That is the recognition of whatever land's role in the civilization. But not doesn't have to be daily. I I post your flat only once a year. Why not daily? Whatever Lamb said, you know, once a year is sufficient. You bring the Kurin. You showed me that you understand who's where, what we fit in. Okay, I'm almost willing to buy that. Almost. No, no, he's right. Oh, he's right, but with a little tikkun. I was bothered by this, but I also want the force of the question to be to be clear. First, the question is that you say 15 or 20 or 100 bit accord a day, shakur. You say this properly. You really do your your invoking shemashem. You're using the name of God to acknowledge God's presence and your awareness that He created this this apple, this pear, this water. Right? Not just blura. Most of us just blura through. You know, you the, the guy that you know works at he's a little bit of that. You, you really see people out there in the restaurants. I look, I said something. I understand it. You know, okay, I know I'll deal with that. But when you say that properly, it's a very profound human experience. It should be. So how can I do that? And you don't want me to do that every single day? I would only be able to answer that perhaps biblical pers- person was so sensitive anyway to a beracha, not to a beracha, to, to what he ate the apple. He saw it as a manifestation of God's power. We don't, because we put the seed, the word of this and that, and this to us is, we do it. Well, we don't. That's the problem. The problem okay, we problem. don't. We really don't. Agreed. Because we don't water it, we don't plant it, we don't work Okay, good, but I they mean, did. Okay. So because only what you said, because of, not because they want to be, be cooling once a year, because Shemitah, but because the process of food production was so overwhelming, because biblical man indeed saw God much more manifest than we see God. You have that to your name in all places where all of my bones say Mechamocha. My bones say because I get my bone, I go to the doctor. I have to pray for that. That is so thrilled. I get I get my antibiotic. I don't pray. He don't have it for us. Any time of any physical discomfort, or any time that and somebody who's really sensitive, even without the physical discomfort, the person woke up in the morning and he said, I could see. Wow. And I could smell, and I could hear, and I could feel, and the kept people feel, and my back is straight, and I'm strong. All of those, the biblical man, and Talmudic man also, all those, all said, Micha Mocha Hashem. Everybody was able to sense God's presence in the air. And even worse, What's the Berakha? What's the negative downside of the Berakha? It's limiting. Why is the Berakha limiting? Because it's only that moment that I say the Berakha, if I say it properly, and it's routinized, I end up, only that set those two seconds of my, my focus on Hashem. After that, I feel, oh, okay, now I've said the Berakha, who cares about Hashem? What's the ideal state? Be more aware behind the Berakha. So I don't say the Berakha. In other words, a true biblical person, what's Abraham, whoever I'm talking about, was always, not just when he said the Beracha, but always was in tune, was tuned up. That's why the Rambam describes in the end of the thing, what is it, um, part 3, chapter um, 51, I think it is, 51, because about Abraham, and Moshe, always antennae attuned to receive divine emanation. Always on that high spiritual level. Okay, you didn't have it in always, when I spoke to Jordan, then perhaps I'm not attuned. Moshe was doing matter who he's doing to. Moshe was, and I was going, no matter what they were doing, we're always attuned to whatever we That's an incredibly high perspective, perception. Well, okay, so I'm at least, I'm not talking to Jordan, but I'm, I'm still tuned in. But, you know, half of the time tuned in, I'm still tuned in. Right? <laughs> All right, so I'll admit that. Or a third of the time, I'm able to still tune in, to, to, to have my mind focused on the ultimate reality of Guru Olam. 
So that's why Baraka denies that. Baraka gives me the opportunity. So Baraka, and forget about you, who cares about you go up at that point? So perhaps you could say that up to Hakmat Talmud, you don't need the Baraka because you were tuned into the flow of the natural processes. When you saw the sunset, you thought of saying Menha. When you had seen a flower and you smelled it, you thought of Hashem without needing the Baraka to remind you of God's presence. So Ahmed Talmud came along and said Baraka as a need, as a Mediavad need. So that tefillah is in the same issue over here. What is the essence of tefillah? Abdashi It's worship of the heart. It's not verbalization. The Rambam was a great proponent in Morena Bukhim also telling us that how the tefillah is not. More than kavanah or what form of kavanah? Silent meditation is what prayer is all about. Silent meditation. Dumiya, what does dumiya mean? When word dumb, quiet. The thought is, is, is praise of God. You cannot verbally praise God in any which way. The Ram had this concept of Ram as this over-expansive, infinite creator that we cannot even conceive of. We cannot even have in mind. So the only way of relating to it is mentally. Um, our thoughts are infinite. Our words are finite. If I have XYZ words, well, I have XYZ words. But my thought can can include, can include, can, can relate infinitely much more so than my verbal. If I think of Ha'ola Gadola Gibor, then I only have these three words, that's all. But my mind is much more all-encompassing. So if I want to relate to the all-encompassing body around, I should do it mentally, which is infinite, than verbally, which is finite. Right? So that's the Rambam's view of, of what prayer is all about. It's not simply a verbalization. It's a live is the center of the human being. Center of emotions, of thought as well. Can you type that the internal is much more expansive than the external? So Rambam is he who was able to take tefillah, call it and define it as Avodah Baleh, and redeem the notion of what tefillah really is from the periphery to the center. Even by that support, who had the Rasha, kept it to give it to him. So Rambam is supposed to say that tefillah is the Oraita. I was a pasuk, or the Let's go further. Paragraph 3. Harishon Shofia, the first who appeared, Kigo'el, Hayah Rambam, Ka'alab Mahshavan, Ifni'adon Olamim, Be'er De'or. So too is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted, that the master of the world, and he who knows, would be that the Rambam is going to redeem the idea of Tiklaq, not Tiklaq per se, but rather Tiklaq as Avdash Rambam, Tehzinu Roshnah. The Rambam returned to its own glory, the glory of Tiklaq, In other words, the prophets prayed in this profound way. The forefathers prayed in this profound Abu Dashabalid way. Then it was lost. This concept after the Nibi'im was lost. It was formalized into a structure, namely the Amidah. And then again, all he did was say the Amidah. And that's not what prayer really is all about. Prayer is infinitely expansive, not limited, finitely limited to only the words of the Amidah itself. Well, now, again, let's see what the Ramam is saying. That you have prayer with expansive up to comes into the Im, and once Ahmed Talmud establishes prayer, then everybody ends up saying these words and no more. But they missed the point. The point of Tikkun is to be endlessly expansive, infinitely so. To pray, every of us pray beyond the Tikkun. We go the morning, noon, and night. Lord, great to say three Tikkun a day. Shahim and Hanabi. That's it? The Rabbah would say to you, what is prayer? Are we not missing the point of prayer? What's really prayer? Abu Dashi Balad. But it should be, at, even at any X moment, 
your heart should well up with gratitude of Tuvora Alam for whatever you have, whether it's children, whether it's food on your on your table, whether it's freedom, whatever it is, that you your world. You should be praying more than three times a day. No, no, no. I, I think really what he means is a continuous awareness. Yeah, okay. Not, not, not so much in terms of... It's not a verbalization at all. It's a mental state of... It's a state of mind. connection. Right. Mental connection. You're mentally you mentally connect yourself overwhelmed all the time and looking for the gratitude. It's a dialectic. There are times, there will be times when you should... My own point is that not to become formalized, you want to do that with just formal. But there are moments, what moments? that we should zap into in between the formalities what you said normal human being does that looks at his children absolutely you know look when he's disciplined or whatever he's not but once in a while he stands back and he says thank God his point is that the once in a while should not be so up in a while in other words it's it's sort of like we formally give our wives perhaps this is a uh, real rough analogy we give our wives presents on birthdays and on anniversaries some of us will anyway some of us don't why let's just say that but we shall improve our ways I have nine months to a birthday and I have twelve months to an anniversary so I'm going to Formally, okay, that's formal. It's important to have a formal recognition of, 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 of love, symbolic gesture, whatever it may be. But in between those periods of time, there should be spontaneous moments of spontaneous expressions of love and feeling and concern. I think most people do that. It just can't okay. be all the time. You know, I'm not saying no, but it's a lot of encompassing. You have different functions in society. You have a, a policeman, you have a garbage man, you have a train conductor, you have a train engineer. If they're going to dream all day long, then society right. couldn't come back. Right. But he's not saying dream all day long. If you work around like that all the time, you right. can't right. right. no, wait. First of all, when you're working, right. when, you're, when you're doing what you have to do, that's what you're concentrating on. Good. But the Rabbi, that's all. That's really what he's saying. With everything that you're doing, there should be some a subliminal sort of awareness. Right. A subliminal awareness. Okay. That's the question then is how subliminal? Could you function if, if it's always in the forefront? Of the, 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 the answer will ultimately be that when a person is sitting around with his buddies and they're talking about uh, life and success and, and, and all these things, to the extent that a person recognizes and, and is able to verbalize when the opportunity to verbalize exists. If he verbalizes that, then you know that even when he's not verbalizing it, it's subliminal. It's, 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 it's part of his consciousness. I think most people do that. I'm not sure that most people do that. I think maybe most people that you know, perhaps, that you associate with, perhaps. But then again, there's a verbalized world. I don't think that his associates, which I'm one of, don't always do that. So I don't feel that it's, it's, I don't feel I'm tuned in enough, but I'm aware enough. Well, that's the narrow so I'm saying. What means enough? That means when I'm in work and I have things no, to do, no, I just no, 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 stop. No, no, no. no, 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 no. It starts to limit your, your function. No, that's all. You I go to work and, you know, from 8.30 to 5 o'clock, whatever, I'm jumping here and jumping there. Okay, I don't have time to sit back and say, boy, this is... Well, no, that's another question. I would lose my, uh, my ability to function. 
if you took it in an eight-hour day, I agree that it should be full eight hours. But perhaps in an eight-hour day, to say that I'm jumping around and I'm completely unaware of what it around for eight full hours. But it's the Rabbanan. But 
every single day. You can't go up and X, Y, and Z, and the other one is Gidabana. Yeah, the other one, of course, is Safi. What's it right. No, I'm saying you know, we now have the concept of Safi to what I thought of Murah, Safi to the Banani Kula. So if a person forgets sure. whether it's great or not, right, right, right. Can I hang you off this? Oh, no, I'm not. So Safi to the Banani Kula, you don't pray. Okay, right. You read that statement. That there is Kor Hadush, 
that, that, that you and I, in the course of our learning, could wow, look at that thing. It could be a new concept, a new idea that we didn't never saw before. We could come up with new ideas. That's a very, very powerful statement that Anachnu, who are, of course, uh, a thousand levels plus, lower than the Khmer Khan and everybody else will answer them, where do we have the thought of? You agree with that statement? I'm trembling when I'm saying that statement, but I think it's true. And there are times when you and I, who are, when we're learning, we say, wow, that could be it. That could be a new idea, a new interpretation, a new sevara, a new perush. And look, I hear it from my students all the time. And we'll never have class, because kids with a fresh mind, innocent, they will give you a piece of a kashuk and say, whatever, it's she's going to give them whatever, but I would not have thought of it. And then nobody ever said. For example, this notion that we have um, spoken about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, about four different types of war in Parashat Fukat. The Torah is the four different types of war. Now, I don't know if it's legitimate or not legitimate, but there are indeed four types of war that are going on in Parashat Fukat. What I call the Hamash of where if you are shame doing the night of this, what I call the Hamash of Ernest, like Amalek, with the this, what I call the Hamash, this was in Rashi, or whatever it was, Tesot Teva, Moshes and Spies, where I get it, Yahazir, right? That was the third, and whatever the fourth one was, right? Nobody ever said that before. Now, is that a legitimate new idea? Nobody ever said it before. Nobody analyzed Shachat according to these four different types of rule that are present in Shachat. Right? It's a new idea. Is it a wrong idea? No, I don't know. The Shachat tell me that there are four types of rules. And it's not wrong, but nobody ever categorized or categorized war in that fashion. Usually it's... Uh, it's a new idea in learning. Right? So it can't be wrong. It's there, right? We all agree that the ideas are there. I simply just formulated it in a new fashion nobody else has formulated it before. Yeah, right? I have to make the question is, is there enough enough to categorize it in this fashion? I would say absolutely yes. Okay. Why? Because why? I would say that when we from now on when we analyze war in Tanakh, we should analyze them according to these types. Muhammad I. And they lose the first battle against I. Why? Because there was Muhammad. Now we know. Because the shot helps with that. But there was Muhammad that came to of Akhan. Akhan stole, therefore they lost that battle. Now, if we. Let's go one step further. Let's say there's a war that the Jewish people fight. So it's a Sunday quarter war, Sunday quarter, quarter war. Right? I have to try to analyze what was the reason for winning one and losing the other. Now, can I do that based on a typology of. Doesn't matter. 
So now, if I'm in, engaged in battle, there might be enough coming now that I could rule well, I should rely on Teva, have Moshe rely on Teva. But at some point, I'm allowed to invoke Hashem to say, I want to miss this point, I need to miss this point. Or, if let's say, I'm, all of a sudden I'm attacked. If I'm attacked, what should I do? If I'm attacked by an Amalek, whether it's the Arabs, the Palestinians, or the Syrians, whatever, I'm attacked. I should, I, should I try to analyze this spiritually? We're doing this anyway. So we said that this attack occurred because I have fallen down spiritually in some area. And if so, in what area? Amalek tells us. Hayesha Shemekedeno in Ayin. Right? That's what the question is. If we ask that question, we could expect a Nechama. Essentially what I'm saying, and it's an interesting point that you're pushing me to say, is that if Tanakh, as a whole, for that specifically, and Tanakh perhaps more extensively, is really real to us, and it's really that I, I grow and function by virtue of its concepts and principles, and that is, and is not only a source of Harakha, but it's also a source of Hashkafa and spiritual living, then indeed I should be doing this. I should be reading this, analyzing this, and then concluding certain things. Today, as well. You see what I'm saying? I want to allow to be more than a book of history than I do. I want to be more than a book of Halakha, more than a book of Arachim, or is an extension of what I will really put as the basic values of ideas, ideas, and values. I've spoken this a hundred times. There's a source of rule that to me. Say that morality, yes, it's spiritual, attracting it's all that. I'm going to accept the I'm saying it's a metaphysical book. We're in the same metaphysical principles that apply then, apply today as well. From the fact that I'm alone, it means that I do the wrong thing. It means that I can make a Pachamacho tonight. If I, if I apply the principles there to today as well, then I can make a Pachamacho tonight and say, Hashem, I want to go to battle, and I'm going to learn, I'm going to get this and this, and this is what I took to happen. And then it's a Pachamacho. And then it should be done. So I want these concepts to be much more powerful. I want them to percolate within the Jewish community today as well. So I'm going to step beyond anybody else that has ever gone before. Nobody analyzed war this way, and nobody will go to battle and do this over here in this particular way. So, and, and what I'm doing essentially is the same as I did yesterday. If we understand the reasons why we're the Chorban Ba'at which we do, and which I do by Chiri as well, and even as we do next week, by uh, the, I said, the 10th day then can I analyze the other destructions, such as the Inquisition, extortion, Inquisition, and the Holocaust in the same sort of way, that I have a new metaphysical principle that I have to learn from this and apply to over here and then hopefully prevent another Chabad from happening. If we learn from what we do. So again, I'm taking the biblical models very seriously, the typologies of what went on for destruction. I'm understanding them, I'm analyzing and I'm applying them. I, I could see that, but we've done this before, just in my mouth. Before we do this, and it's a radical, but very biblical and very appropriate thing to do. Yeah. So, so with all of that, so again, my original point is not whether I'm right or wrong, but rather, and that could be just, I could be both right and wrong. Perhaps it's right to think this way, but I have a little my details. Or the opposite. Maybe it is all right, but let's take it as an option. If a Muhammad Sarah comes against us, we should retrospect and say, maybe we said, I should have been lying. Maybe our mother came, the type of Nazis who came, came as a result of that same exact question. The Jews have never said, I should have been lying. Now we should know the kind of enemy that attacks when that happens is Amalek, which means what? They will attack the poor, the innocent, the weak, the elderly, and all that. And they will attack and say they keep as well as the Rashaim. Everybody gets attacked in some kind of war. Everybody gets attacked. That's what happens with the Nazis. So again, I'm aware that I'm on loose footing over here. Because the homes have not been worked out. 
for some reason I don't want you to think about. But again, my point is, if that's a new article, it's a new idea. And certainly, it's shock. It's a true idea. Whether it has to come or not, I don't know yet. But my point, Jack, is saying that we, in the course of thinking and learning about Torah, we come up with new ideas. New ways of understanding. Change what you want to do. How should we understand it? Look at the Mephashim. Okay, that's one. But then you, you may come up with new ideas for how to understand. You may, based on a modern conception of time, Time is relative to motion, right? That's a new idea. Time is not an absolute, but rather it's relative to, to the way how fast the body is spinning. So you may analyze this, this miracle, miraculous nature now in a new way. Where it might not even break the Mahasir Bereshit rules of, of natural order. Who knows what? Whatever it may be. We continue to think, expand our minds on new scientific, new psychological, and new insightful principles. I have a friend, on the best of the world, Abnerized, Brother Abnerized, right? From you in South Africa, not Abnerized. South Africa, she grabbed her to the village of in uh, California. So she was about 65 years, 62 years old. I told him, could you come back and speak in our school? I'm too busy. What are you doing? What, what are you doing again? I got another PhD. What do you think for us? What do you think for us? I love this. What do you think for us? What do you think for us? Because I never will read Tanakh the same. What do you think? What do you mean? Because the dimension of understanding the Avruah and everybody else, based on common psychological human principles, I now understand Abraham much more deeply. A man of faith, a man of, who, who, who was challenged by tests and, and, and struggled to achieve greater spiritual heights. Triple psychology of how people work intellectually, emotionally. Two sisters find vying for the same husband. You and I understand it, I'll be cautious the way we understand it, you know, we are on a common level. But if we understand deeply human emotions, we all agree that Shia Tanakh were human beings, they were not Malachim, correct? They therefore function by certain psychological principles. And if we were to uncover principles of whatever they may be, we might understand them not differently. So a psychologist may have a new insight into the forefathers. Do we accept that statement? Absolutely. Okay. If, if the psychological principles are true... Yeah, of course. It has to be true. Absolutely. So, and so it may, may be true today, and then the psychologists, years later, will say, no, that's, that theory uh, of Whatever may be. is not is no longer accepted. Oh, it has to be true. Have it right. But you can certainly apply theories and, and, and look at the Avrot and look at all these things. Anybody use, interestingly enough, we all know the concept called sibling rivalry. It's an interesting concept. It means that a brother could have a very intense rivalry with, the, with his other brother. And it's a question of how the parents stay with them and everything else. But if I use that term to apply to yourself, for a sibling rivalry, one brother has these grandiose dreams of ruling over the others, and treated favorably, or kind and hand out, Hashem did the same mark. Notice how the beginning of the Shnei Bish is the same thing, sibling rivalry, kind and hand out, and yourself. And by contrast, interestingly enough, how does Shem not work? Well, Shem and Adam do not have this at all. So you, you see that this contrast works in the opposite way. They complement each other. There's two different models of family structure. One is disastrous, sibling rivalry. And what is harmony, which puts me, so there's obviously a message over the blood. Now, best of my knowledge, none of the Mephashim talk about sibling rivalry as a psychological condition that affects, afflicts a family. And yet, let's assume that we will approach this concept of rivalry. Let's assume we are. We, as people that read Tanakh and apply to our lives, should know that we as parents have to make sure that we don't create strict with sibling rivalry. How many of us parents said, look at your brother, he was able to get 98 given you didn't get, you only got 92. Uh, right, you know, in the 90s. Of course not, but we say it always automatically. Well, your brother's a great basketball player. Now, we may not even do it verbally, we may do it emotionally. Where we unconsciously favor a child 
who always locks and slept. My dad, well, she's a fantastic kid. She never worked, goes to bed on time, but she was three weeks old, she slept with her By contrast, Mordecai is a horror story. <laughs> I would say that, but I'm not sure. And this kid will find every single way of getting you angry. I said so. What do you said so? Who are you? I am a horse. Absolutely, yes. Correct. No, so, uh, undoubtedly, you work at the devil, she's pleasant. Let's go to the boardwalk. Who wants to go to the boardwalk? She, with the boardwalk, carry me, pick me up. I don't want to stroll. I want to stroll. Give him the stroll. He wants to stroll. He doesn't stroll. He wants to stroll. And it goes to the way I got off with this kid. What am I going to do? I love him anyway. I love him anyway. But he's the... You can't do all the same, but you want to be aware of, of certain messages you give to a kid. Some kids are much easier, some kids are much more difficult. Everybody will tell you that. Okay. Ag- agreed. But my point is that if we study Tanakh properly, and we see uh, the powerful forces within a, within a family could tear apart the family, then simply why we should be much on our awareness. We should know that we're going to give more attention because he's much because it's much more difficult and we, we tend to push the guy aside we have to deal with him so therefore what do you do you end up trying to bounce the other way of course you don't want to bounce the other way to a degree where the devil is going to get another also so the devil comes to know you never ignore me you can ignore me you never take me any place she's right because she's so easy that I tend to ignore her because she doesn't you want and I always I'm always battling with the Mordecai wherever it may be so Tanakh oh, correct Tanakh wants such as you to family dynamics all the Bereshit is family dynamics so all the structures, Yaakov, Rahel, Ishaq, Aysab, Abraham, Ishmael, Ishaq, all that throughout all the sheep. So we read the sheep seriously with the psychological awareness of it. It's one of the dimensions, one of the levels, one of the sheep, Ifani Makura, that we're more aware of. But a hundred years ago, or a thousand years ago, where family dynamics was not very much anybody's awareness, we might have even seen that level of sending Tanakh. To the contrary, the way Achmeh Talmud that say, Madrash, and Achmeh Rishonim, they would see Yaakov and Yisar as a battle against who and whom? So Rashi was battling other religions. I'm not battling other religions. Other religions. The Moses are part me. The Kabbalists are part of me. The Kush are part me. I tend to see things more psychologically, as Rabbi Salvech does as well, by the way. So I see all that much. No one worried about these kinds of issues. They were never worried about, worried about surviving life. From a Christian programmer, from a, from a Muslim jihad, that's what So those saw different things as the message from Tanakh to us. They're not one's right, one's wrong. The brilliance and beauty of Tanakh is that they're all there. And that there are psychological dynamics and the religious parameters. It's all there that we have to understand. I'm sorry? You pick up what's relevant and, and appropriate. So my point is this whole parameter is that my comment is that there. He needs but one can find a Hiddush in Torah, it's not impossible. To the contrary, we can do it on a daily basis. You study Torah, you come with a new idea, it's psychological, or scientific, or just insightful, whatever it may be. Emotional, all that's doable. But nevertheless, you get down to the Hasid <coughs> and the Brass Act. With all of this, the Halakha, we still hold the Torah to the Well, let's see. I don't know if I'm concluding with that. I don't know if I'm saying that. The Rana says no. Okay, I understand. Open up Shulchan Aruch and uh, and see how Maran is prosaic, basically. And then, after all of this wonderful idea, which is valid nevertheless, the consensus still seems to be. Never not. 
fools with us here. We made him come. Why? Because with, with this stick and all that. Because we can't have two empty fools. Okay, it's a public issue. We can do this very well. Two different counties. You have to follow the majority. Agreed. But in a private area, in something that's quiet, so that the Gilad Rabbanan to have a right to be told on the Rambam. That's an interesting question. And again, the Basel often would be Tolomea as an Aharon. I'm not saying we are Aharonim, but we have a right to be Tolomea and the Basel Dejic, who throws on the Rambam to the court to have the right to have the right to have the right to have the right to have the question. How far do we go to being sure of ourselves? Can I, can I live with myself if my, my heart tells me it's the right and that it's right to be the right and that this is where the right as opposed to, as opposed to the, uh, I have one more minute, you want to just wait. One more minute. You want to say, okay. okay. So, do I have a right to call it the right time? Well, I'm Of course, interesting also is, let's say I do call myself father. You, you want to have what you call the Dravanan. You want all Dravanan credit for it. I got the right to credit for it. Because I, I, I trust the right time. I always said it's the right time. It's something different to it. We're afraid to come there. I have about 80, 90, 120 years of life. Look, Shemar, and I said, Ooh, I'm very heavy. Now, run away, and I'm going to go to the back. I told you, I wonder if it works that way. Why would I know? That's an interesting question.